Okay, my name is Ayana Sor, I'm from Cairo University. I would like to say, thank Reem for getting me here to speak to you today, and also for putting me on this very interesting panel. Uh, I would start with a very rough translation of the song. Uh, I don't belong to anyone. I am free to follow my conscience, and you may rule in your own world, but the white street is open for me. Ah, but the white street is open for me as well. No brother, you are mistaken. Tell him, for he is oblivious, for whom does the street belong? Uh, the crowd replies, the street is ours, it's ours alone, other people don't belong to us, they are selfish, they want to stand passively still. This song, Shara Lena, or The Street is Ours, was written by Salah Shaheen, featured in the movie by Yusuf Shaheen, uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son. And it has been interestingly taken, taken on after the revolution. It wasn't the first time it was taken after the revolution. As we know from yesterday's presentation, uh, one group took uh, the initiative of making uh, the street is ours to express the women's, women's ownership of the street and the space after they were brutally uh, harassed and sexually harassed in uh, the referendum in 2005. But uh, what is interesting is that this song, uh, Like, every, like other older works of poetry, art, and, uh, and song and music, this song was reappropriated to capture the spirit of the 19 days. Um, as we said, it wasn't the first time, but then again we have this uh, director, um, Khalid Youssef, who shifted the title of his movie from, from whom, the question of whom, from whom the streets belong to a question or the title of the street is ours. Uh, what I want to stress here, or what I, uh, what I want to point out, that the song captures the very spirit of a liberated and a reappropriated public space, in the, terms, the term that the uh, used in reappropriation. Uh, the spaces of the streets and squares of the cities that has been increasingly gated and fenced and barred and even marked with violence in the years leading to 2011. Here, tones of ownership of space as related to a process of change and of liberation uh, coincide with the now nostalgic image of Tahrir Square in the 18 days. Tahrir Square as a liberated space, as a state out of state, as a restructured space uh, where everyone is one. I mean, the, the whole icon of Tahrir Square as a utopia in the 18 days. This fixation, this icon that we see even in the brochure or the flyer of this conference. Um, even the political discussions during the 18 days and even later in the several sit-ins, including the Abbasaya sit-in that was very recently and violently broken up, it kind of approximates in practice what has theoretically been an assumed relationship between political space, physical political space, that is very dear to urbanists, of course, and um, the discourse of public sphere that is very dear to political theorists. Um, of course, the street or share isn't something new. Uh, Lefebvre notes that the street is, being, uh, is a place of encounter, even though it is being pushed to being a place of movement and circulation under the pressure of uh, uh, the priorities of traffic and uh, parking obsessions. Uh, the street for him should be a kind of disorder that features um, or engenders another kind of order of speech, writing, and even ascribing on walls, like what we see in graffiti right now. Um, also, the street could translate into to, uh, an object of consumption and of a spectacle and an icon for, uh, for consumption, even a space for exchange values or what he calls as colonized urban space. We find this dual understanding of space as a place to, for active uh, appropriation or a place for passive usage in the 
now very um, heavily quoted Asif Bayat in this conference. So I won't go into what he says. But, but I mean, his notion of the idea of contention of ownership of space actually uh, re-echoes the same, this whole same idea. Um, as it happened, the contention and the contesting of ownership of space was a key element in the revolution. Um, the revolution is a dynamic here theoretically um, announces the moment of liberating the space. I take this from theoretically from Hannah Arendt. Arendt works as uh, or points out that the revolution it is this point when space, space is public is liberated and it is open for free interaction. And her take on other theories of revolution is that they fail to see this point that they focus on the violence and the clashes before it and not of constitution this space of freedom and uh, of free space and uh, speech and action. Um, now I point to Aaron because for me she makes an, the, this interesting and direct link between political space and the public sphere. Her notion of public sphere, of course, is uh, I won't go into theory, of course, for the presentation. But what I want to point out is that it acts as a normative idea of discursive space, of a space that should be inclu uh, inclusive, even though there are a lot of problematics under in under this understanding of her uh, own concept. Uh, but then again, the point I want to make is that even though the Arendtian conception, if taken critically, is uh, exhibits or it stems out from uh, physical spaces that were essentially exclusionary, in theory it turns it features or replaces the role of a normative idea that one should ascribe to an idea of school and inclusion um, <coughs> and speech and action. Also, what I point uh, what I want to point out is that this kind of uh, Paradox between exclusion, paradox of exclusion and inclusion. Uh, Don Mitchell capitalizes on this on this in his article, The End of Public Space, and he's, he he sees this kind of contention or theoretical tension between the public sphere, the normative uh, idea uh, public sphere that is inclusive, that is ordered, um, and the real physical material public spaces. These are differential. These are by necessity uh, exclusionary. Under the pretext of freedom, a public space could be a space of free, unmediated interaction uh, absent, uh, that exhibits absence of coercion, uh, and hence it could be highly politicized and supposed to be tolerant for disorder. Or alternatively, it would be a place of free, uh, of free and open uh, recreation, recreation and entertainment. And hence it will be an used by an appropriate public um, that needs safety and order. Don Mitchell argues that this pub, the public nature of any public space stems from this contestation between these two visions. And here I will draw on him, but I want to also add that uh, these two contesting modalities of visions of what public space is translates into the public discourse. Uh, so in the revolutionary, uh, the year after the, after the 18 days of the revolution, in 2011, we see the notions and the values and divisions of an order, safety, and etc. Uh, as a discourse, as opposed to a discourse of uh, disorder and chaos and uh, unpredictability. Here I will take a pause and go back, or take a distance, both spatially and temporally, back to the late 18th, uh, 19th century and early 20th century, and also away from Tahrir Square. Uh, the way I want to do this, or why I want to do this, is to bring uh, in these contesting uh, discourses or these contesting two visions that they won't appear only in Tahrir Square, they will also appear in other visions of other uh, alternative spaces. And here I want to focus on the parks. 
this quote is taken, of course, from uh, Jeanette Adonogt's uh, uh, very classic text on Cairo. Uh, here she's describing, it is in the context where she's describing uh, the visit of uh, Ismaili, uh, the Khadivi Ismail to the Universal Exhibition mm -hmm. and um, his meeting up with Hausmann, his meeting up with Briot de Champ, and uh, getting these visions of uh, giving a new facet for Cairo. This is an old story, I think everyone knows it, so I won't go in it. Um, but again, this, this sentence is very uh, indicative because when Tzkhadi Ismail comes and he tries to put his uh, urban planning uh, towards his Ismailia and Azbakeya, uh, Vanguard, uh, or uh, the pioneer uh, area to be uh, replanned, it is with these notions in mind. If I say of respectability, if I say of cleanliness, uh, even notions of purging uh, the, the, par the pond, want to pose at one narrative of modern public space from this time. Uh, the Hadith Isa ibn Hisham uh, uh, text uh, on literary work. I know most of you, of course, know of it because of uh, Timothy Mitchell and Roger Allen. Uh, but then again, I would pose on two specific themes in this uh, narrative. The narrative, in short, uh, or the, the work of literature, in short, starts with the resurrection of the Pasha, someone who's representing the past. Uh, who meets uh, Isa ibn Hisham, who's representing the present, and he walks him in the same way of Flaneur uh, around Cairo to, to know and to see about what's happening. In a sense, it is uh, a debate or a discourse between past and present, and also between, it raises questions of authenticity, modernization, and the effect of westernization, and colonizations, and all the isations you would like to uh, put together. Uh, I would pose on two scenes, two specific scenes. One, when they, uh, the, the the impressions on the Al-Azbakiya and the Ismailiya quarter, which is was the modern uh, uh, new place to be, uh, and the park itself. The Azbakiya quarter is a, as a place for middle, is presented as a place for middle class. It is the place for the bourgeoisie, new bourgeoisie to be. Uh, it is a middle class that distances itself from Aulad al-Balad, who do not go to these places. Uh, it is where uh, there are forms of entertainment, and it is the, the quarter where there is operas and lunch and shopping, etc. Uh, the Ismailia quarter is now, uh, which would, as we can now compose the area of the downtown, uh, features in the eyes of the Persia, the one who's coming from the past, as a nice place for places of uh, palaces and, guard and gardens and things at all, that such a heaven exists in Cairo, which didn't exist two generations ago. Uh, it is, as it is explained to him, it is inhabited by the rich and foreigners after it, is, uh, after it used to be a deserted area. And when it used to be a deserted area, it was inhibited by criminality and, uh, and vandalism. Here, the motifs of purging appear, also the motifs of authority. This is a place where some, some are allowed to be or some use and others aren't. The, there aren't any um, the claims of duality of colonial versus uh, native, but then again it appears or it features in the language where this is the place where we do not own but other, peoples own, other people own, namely the foreigners. Again, the particular narrative of Al-Azbakeya is a narrative of deterioration and demand, even though it is relatively new. Uh, it is looked upon, down upon as a place of moral degradation, drunkenness, morally and socially unacceptable activities. They go into the park where they pay a fee of entry, nevertheless, 
the um, uh, the author of Isa ibn Shams tells him that it is public in the sense it is owned by no one, but in particular it is open for everyone. Nevertheless, the, we see the fees, we see the gates, and we see that everyone is not uh, actually there. Um, what we see is a recreational use of public, uh, uh, of the privileged. Um, again, the early 20th century, late 18th and uh, 19th century and early 20th century narrative is a narrative of public space that is built on a cleansed, purged space and a narrative of spectacle that isn't being used by all. Also inhibits it as a narrative of moral and social decline. <coughs> Writing in 1971, I'll get back to Janet of Janet of offers the same lamenting narrative, interestingly enough, even though there is a century span, a difference in time span. Abu Lohd re-echoes a similar narrative of decline that Muhammad al Mulhi depicted in his Radiant and Nisham. She recounts the story of the trial of the Asbakaya Park as an exclusive domain. And here I want to pause or to draw the attention that the opening up of a public space to more public, uh, uh, more public audience is usually coupled with a narrative of decline of, uh, uh, of the intended usage of the public space, even though it was intended as a public recreation space. Going back to the modern colonial urban imagery of public spaces is to point out what might be seen as a peculiar, peculiar exclusive nature um, of public spaces. It could be, of course, argued that public spaces are found uh, elsewhere, but what is of interest is the interplay between these recreational open spaces and other, uh, other spaces that could be open for all with unrestricted uh, access or memberships. Here, there are certain motifs of cleanliness, morality, safety, nonviolence, and exclusion. I will jump into very quick synopsis of why these motifs appeared in the discourse about Tahrir Square. Now, uh, the motif of cleanliness was interesting, interestingly incorporated into Tahrir Square. We saw earlier the images of people cleaning uh, up after themselves. Um, the symbolic act of purging the space after the 18 days of the revolution has been entrenched in the narrative of, the urban, uh, of Tahrir Square in the 18 days. Now, right now, this motif has been used to discredit political actions that do not necessarily approximate to this clean behavior. So now the sit-ins uh, with all the chaos that they cause are served to discredit the same uh, demands that are being posed in this case. Uh, also, it is worth noting that Nadif translates into a, into a social term of high status versus uh, the Baltagi or the non, the, the BIA or the lowly class. So it has a double, uh, double term. Skip this. Uh, the war of cleanliness also features a mostly, uh, this might not be the most interesting picture about graffiti in Cairo, but then you can see the layers of walls where graffiti is painted and then the wall is whitewashed and then it is, re it is rewritten and then it is whitewashed. Washed, and this, it doesn't really matter uh, the end of this war is, but you can see the layers of accounts of cleanliness and uncleanliness. It's very interesting also that the, it is the same color of paint that is being used all over Cairo, the, the green, the whitish, the off-whitish one. Also, motifs of morality and respectability here, I'll be very quick, are being used in the fight of words of who should be there in the sit-in and uh, who should it. Okay, I'm just wrapping up. Uh, the, the notion of um, or what made them go there 
is just creating or reinciting this uh, motif of that there is a place where we shouldn't be in and anyone who is in it is them versus we. This own of thing of uh, sense of ownership of an us versus them is being ascribed in spatial terms. Um, well, there are also motifs of violence, but that I will skip in. Everyone knows that the image of Tahrir Square of the 18 days wasn't that peaceful or Sirmeya, and now the, the whole term of violence is being used again to discredit the same demands. Now, meanwhile, while all this is at work, the, there's a nostalgic image of Tahrir Square that is splitting up into two. Uh, one is to become an icon, an image of consumption, the same image that you have been seeing here. Uh, it is fortified by the one vision of what public spaces should be. It translates perfectly well in the city exclusive public spaces that are ready for creation and consumption. And also there is an image of others, uh, another image of disorder that illustrates the picture, and hence the tahrir use becomes a them versus a we, because we are not there anymore. Thank you. Thank you very much.